The George Washington College of Professional Studies Paralegal Studies programs are a proud sponsor of the DC Bar. You'll study with the nation's leading experts and get the critical knowledge and skills you need to enter legal, corporate, healthcare, or government practice with confidence and acumen. Whether you are looking to advance in your career or make a change, GW's academic rigor is matched with hands-on, real-time learning that will help you stand out among your peers and rise to the next level in your profession. To request more information about this program, please visit the link found in the description for this episode. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Let's Brief It podcast, the podcast made for law students by law students. I'm Andrew Nettles. And I'm Sydney Taylor. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the topic of campaign canvassing. To learn more about this issue, we are joined today by our guest, Bria Wallace. Bria is a second-year law student at the Southern University Law Center. She's also a classmate and someone I'm proud to call a friend. Prior to entering law school, she worked on one presidential campaign and key mayoral races around the country. She is also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Bria is a California native and credits VP Kamala Harris's transformative work as her interest in law and government. Bria, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we brief it, can you give us an overview of how you got started in campaigning? Yeah, thank you for having me today. So my campaign trajectory was very non-traditional. I graduated undergrad and I was unemployed for six months like most people. I think that's a good, you know, that's a timeline they don't tell you when you graduate college is that, you know, that you're going to go through these unemployment periods and you're not going to know exactly what you want to do and how to get there. And that's kind of where I was. I knew I always wanted to be in politics and I knew that I wanted to make an impact. I just didn't know how to get there. So after college, I moved to D.C., the political hub. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So when I moved to DC, I worked as a paralegal for a little bit, doing some contract work. And I have a big political network just through family, through friends, you know, professional contacts that I've made. And I received a call one day. I mean, one of my mentors knew that I was unhappy at my job. And she said, hey, there's this great candidate. He's putting his name in the race for president. His name is Pete Buttigieg. You may not know him as many people don't, but I think you should get on this campaign because I truly believe that you will have the most impact on this. And this is a startup campaign. You'll be able to make a big difference. And I was unhappy with my job, but I said, okay, I'm going to do this because this is what I came to DC for was to work on campaigns. But what they didn't tell me about campaigns is that you would be moving to an early voting state. And, you know, at the time, key early voting states are New Hampshire, Iowa, and South Carolina. So I just kind of had to take it for what it was. And I got the call in August of 2019 saying that I'd be joining the campaign in New Hampshire. So I went to New Hampshire for a month, wasn't a fan of New Hampshire. It's very different. You know, I'm a black girl being in New Hampshire, couldn't get my (laughs) hair done as much as I wanted to. So that was something that really tested me mentally. And I said, you know, I still love this candidate and I want to support him, but I have to prioritize my mental health. So from there, I went to South Carolina, which, you know, is a black state. They concentrate on black voters and that's truly where I thrived. And I was just able to get the ball going there. That's awesome. So did campaigning inspire you to go to law school or were you planning to attend prior to your campaign involvement? So I always knew I wanted to go to law school. Like ever since I was six years old, my parents will tell you, I always said I want to be, you know, at the time it's a lawyer. You never knew the difference between a lawyer and attorney and one who takes the bar. So I said, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. I grew up under the mentorship of now Vice President Kamala Harris, but I saw her and knew her as District Attorney of San Francisco, Kamala Harris. So I got to see the work that she was doing as DA. I saw a lot of key Black prosecutors growing up, such as Diana Becton in Contra Costa County, 
Venus Williams as well, who is one of my great mentors, and she's now the Deputy Attorney General of California. So I've seen these phenomenal Black women in these spaces where it's already, you know, we already 5%, but then just seeing the Black prosecutor percentage, which is such lower, and Black women at that, I was like, this is what I want to do. And especially learning from them and just seeing how they advocated for reformation and just, you know, lower recidivism rates and making sure that we don't have these people go back into the system once we get them out. So they were focused on smart on crime rather than smart policing. It was just, you know, California, we had a lot of stuff going on at the time. You're dealing with the backlash and the, you know, aftermath of mass incarceration, as well as three strikes and seeing what the Reaganism era did in California and how we were the first state that was heavily impacted from that. So just seeing these Black women who were champions to transform that whole playing field definitely inspired me to go to law school. The LSAT was something that also kind of stood in my way a little bit when I was like, I don't know about law school. That LSAT is very hard, but I just always knew I was going to go to law school. Definitely. I feel that same way with the LSAT. It's such a barrier to many students. I know I struggled with it. When you were canvassing, what were some of your day-to-day responsibilities and what kind of responsibilities could interested listeners expect to take on during an internship in campaign canvassing? Yeah, so I will say life as a campaign staffer, it's very hectic. You have to understand that for however long you're working on the campaign. I mean, I was on the trail for six months. You're living and breathing the campaign just around the clock whenever it's really prioritizing your candidate. So for me in New Hampshire, it was pretty scheduled to where 9 a.m. we're probably getting on a meeting, just checking in to see if we had enough volunteers for an event that we put on that week. Um, You'd be meeting with volunteers in the community just to see if they can host what we call house parties where they can invite five or 10 friends out to come hear about our candidate and commit to vote for that candidate. So early voting and early GOTV is really, it's very structured. You're just getting a lot of house parties. You're making sure that you have a lot of volunteers. You're doing a lot of phone banking. And that day-to-day schedule, it's great. Like that's the groundwork that you have to do. But I knew for me that there was so much that I could do. Like I just knew my potential. I knew that there's so much more that I could be doing. So when I got the opportunity in South Carolina, I was working under my equal frat brother. He's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So I was working under him and he just saw a lot of potential in me. He took me in right away. He said, this job is going to be busy. I'm not going to have you as a typical day-to-day campaign staffer. I'm going to have you be my right hand in the state until I can hire up more. And that's what I was. So I was doing a lot of HBCU engagement in South Carolina and making sure that I could engage members of the Divine Nine community to come out and vote. I was also making sure that I could go to these churches and go to these Black spaces to make sure that I can advocate for my candidates. So there was just different stuff that I was doing in South Carolina. I was securing endorsements from state representatives. That role is definitely where I thrived because I was able to network. I was able to go to these events. I was able to go to the Congressional Black Caucus parties that they would hold in the state and just really represent my candidate and myself. I would say that role is where I really just got to utilize networking because I love to network. I love to talk. I love to put myself out there. And that's truly where I thrived. And that role also just showed me that it's okay to not just be a traditional campaign staff. And there's so much more under that umbrella. And I don't think people tell us about that daily. Like you look at job descriptions and you just know what you may have, but just know that sometimes you just have to go with it and roll with it. And that's what I did within the state of South Carolina. So That role specifically, I will say I did everything that I could. At one point, it felt like I was probably the political director in the state because that's how hectic it is when you're working on a campaign trail. And also when you're in a state such as South Carolina, where we're not receiving a lot of funds, such as the staffers in Iowa and New Hampshire received or Nevada, we had a very minimal budget to work with and we made it work. 
but I also, you know, was helping promote a member of an LGBT community in the South. So that's another challenge that we had to deal with as well. So I would say for us, although we did not receive the vote outcome that we wanted in that state, what just kept us going was knowing that we were making a name for our candidate and that, you know, we had some tangibles that we could take away, especially as young Black staffers that we can put on our resumes and get higher jobs after. Okay, so you've already kind of clarified some things that I really didn't think about or that I really didn't know that existed or that went on in campaigns. So what are some myths about campaigning that you would like to debunk? So the biggest myth that existed on this previous campaign cycle in 2020 was that Black voters all think the same and that we're an anomaly because we're not. We all vote as we want to vote. We all have different thoughts and beliefs. There's some of us who are far left. There's some of us who are more right. And there's some of us who are moderate and in the middle. So with that being said, a lot of Black voters didn't vote for Biden this past cycle. Some of us did vote for Bernie. Some of us did vote for Buttigieg. Some of us voted for Klobuchar. You just never know where we fall into it. Some did vote for Tom Sire because they love that he is a financial businessman. So I think that that's something I want people to take into this next campaign cycle is that Biden and Harris are going to have to work really hard to deliver tangibles for the Black community, but also understand that our votes do not automatically go towards the Democratic nominee. So that's something that I think I want people to just realize is that we don't all think the same. And you really have to know where you're at and know who you're campaigning to and know the needs of each individual person and not assume that the Black community just decides to meet one day and say who we're going to buy. Another myth that I would like to debunk about campaigns is that People tend to believe that you don't prioritize your mental health on campaigns. And that is something that I just think the Buttigieg campaign did a very good job of making sure that we had those mental health days. You know, in the start of the campaign, we didn't work Sundays, which was very unprecedented. A lot of campaigns, they worked seven days a week. We didn't. We had Sundays off to really prioritize ourselves and our mental health. We also were allowed a lot of freedom throughout our day, too, to make our own schedule and just you know, if you wanted to schedule time to go to the nail shop as I did or get your hair done, you could do that. You may work during that time period there, but you have a lot of time to really prioritize yourself and your mental health and also just understand that, you know, the campaign cycle and the life on a campaign trail, take the opportunities for what it is and just take the time for yourself. Within the Buttigieg campaign, within our check, we had, I think, $200 allocated to mental health. So you could use that for a gym membership or like me, my hair appointments, just little stuff that she wanted to do because they knew that that's such a big thing that affects a lot of staffers. And that's a highlight of working for such a young candidate and working for, you know, campaign staff that's all, we're all Gen Z pretty much, or uh, millennials. We're working amongst each other to know that, hey, these are what we prioritize, what we take care of, and this is what we need to do moving forward. So I would say those are the two biggest myths is just making sure that, you know, you campaign to who you need to and you don't automatically lump people into groups such as LGBTQ plus community. You want to make sure that you're not just putting them into a branch as well. So you want to know who you're targeting and who your audience is. And you also want to prioritize your mental health when working on campaigns. I think that's a great segue into our next question. What are some trends in campaign canvassing that could affect the way that we campaign? What do you think will be the effect of these strategies? Okay, that's a great question. I think campaign canvassing. So when you canvass for those people who are going to be listening to this who may have not worked for a political campaign or candidate, when you canvass in the community, so canvass is you're going to somebody's house or multiple houses in a community, going door to door, asking them if they know your candidate, asking if they're going to vote for your candidate. And if not, that's it. You kind of just mark that house as not voting for Buttigieg. And if they are voting for them, him, you would mark them as, okay, they are a supporter of Buttigieg. 
So that's what canvassing is. You're going to the door to door. If you're meeting these voters, you're doing direct contact on the ground to kind of hear within the neighborhoods that you're stationed in. What are some feedback? What are some areas that we can work on and some improvement? I would say that a trend in canvassing, I do not like the vote builder personally. I am not a fan of Van. And Van is a system that we use to track each house because I just feel like it's not accurate because you could get all this feedback from the ground, but we know that that small neighborhood is not going to determine how your candidate will play out in that city, that county, or that state. So I think that basing on data is important, yes, but also you need to just go out and really do the work in other areas. That's why hosting events is key. That's why going to the grocery store and talking to people in the store is key. That's why going to local colleges and universities is important. And that's why going to churches is important as well, too, because each neighborhood is not going to determine how your candidate will effectively play out in that cycle. So while canvassing is key, you do want to do it as well, but you also need to do other things as well, too. That is not the key to winning a presidential, mayoral, a city council race. Canvassing is not going to do all the work. You just have to meet the people where they're at, too. So some trends in campaign canvassing that could be adjusted is just meeting people where they're at, whether, like I said, whether that means that it's at the grocery store, it's at their child's soccer game on Sundays. You just want to meet people where they are. Canvassing is great to just kind of see boots on the ground. I think voters love to see people come to their doors. And that's something else that is a trend in canvassing is people always say, I'm not voting for a candidate who I don't know. So you always want to make sure that you're showing face as well, too, which is important. But there's other ways around canvassing, too, because I think one thing that I took away from working on such a key cycle is that a lot of people want to vote for somebody who they want to see who's endorsing that person. They want to see that their local mayor is going to support your candidate. They want to see that the governor is hosting events for your candidate or X, Y, and Z. So they look at a lot of the church leaders as well, maybe Miss Mabel down the street to see who she's cooking pies for. So there's different indications and different areas to determine how to effectively get out the vote for your candidate. While canvassing is key and while it is important, there's also just a bunch of strategy. We see the trajectory changing in this campaign cycle. We see how big social media is playing out in campaigns. Digital ads are important. I think that's part of the reason why, I mean, Tom Steyer, of course, I don't think he did higher than fourth in South Carolina because I think Buttigieg was fourth and he was fifth. But Tom Steyer was still viable in the state. Um, a lot of people were supporting him that we've talked to, at least on the ground, because Tom Steyer was everywhere. He had the money to buy ads on Instagram, on YouTube. If you went to the gym in South Carolina, I worked out at Planet Fitness, you would see a Tom Steyer ad every two to three minutes. And you were just tired of hearing about Tom Steyer, but that's how he got his name out there. So I would say just really investing into the digital platform is key as well, too. So while it is important to have boots on the ground, if you miss somebody at home and they're not there, another way that they're going to hear about your candidate is watching CNN and seeing a commercial or watching Anything on TV, ESPN, seeing your candidate pop up, listening to a podcast and hearing Tom Steyer for South Carolina. So stuff like that, there's just different ways to get your candidate's voice out there. I would say that that's key as well, too, is just looking at other alternatives to canvassing because canvassing is not the general makeup of a campaign. So it sounds like visibility is obviously incredibly important and also knowing who is important to your community. What are some particularly effective campaign strategies in your experience for those of our listeners who plan to run for office someday or who have political aspirations? Yeah, so I would say you want to make sure that you have the infrastructure. You want to make sure that you have a team built out. Even if you're working with a minimal budget, you want to make sure that you at least have somebody who can handle your fundraising. You want to make sure that you can have someone who can handle your organizing. And you want to also make sure that you have someone who 
handle your volunteers as well too, because those are the three big key areas on a campaign. Because data, while it is important, yes, you can always train a fundraising guru how to look at ban and how to look at data in different states. So I would say that those are the main things that you wanna look at. You also wanna make sure that you have someone who is tech savvy on your team because they are going to have the social media presence that they need for your candidate. They are going to make sure that there's messaging that's really deliverable to people on your candidate. And they're going to make sure that the message is out there for other people in the audience to take in as well too. I would also say that an effective strategy for a campaign, if you wanna make sure that you have a great candidate, right? You wanna make sure that you're working for someone and that you're uplifting someone who you truly believe in. And that was something, like I said, with Buttigieg, it was amazing because with me, I went into the 2020 cycle not knowing who I was going to support. You know, we had some great candidates. We had now Vice President Harris, who was running. We had, you know, President Biden, who was running. And we had Klobuchar, who was running. And a lot of people thought she was going to carry the Midwest. We had Elizabeth Warren, who I thought was an amazing person, too. I did not know about Buttigieg before I ran. Actually, I did know about Buttigieg because I knew about the incident that took place in South Bend with one of his police officers shooting, I think it was an unarmed Black man. And... What I liked about him in that instance is that he owned up to it at a town hall in his community. And he said, you know what? I did not know how to handle this properly, but I want to hear your voices now. So that's how I got him on my radar. And then when I started working for him, I tell a lot of people and a lot of volunteers that I wasn't 100% committed to Buttigieg. I didn't know who he was before. I didn't know if I was going to support him. He wasn't somebody that I just saw on TV and was like, oh my God, I'm in love. I'm going to go work for this man and drop everything that I'm doing in D.C., that's not how it was for me. I think as time went on, he slowly bought over my boat. I saw him do speeches. I saw him talk to people. I saw how he treated his staff, how he treated everybody. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing man. So he slowly won over my boat. And that's why I believe it's important to work for someone who you trust, because I'm not going to take a candidate into a Methodist church in South Carolina unless I truly believe in him. And I'm not going to take him to Allen University in South Carolina and HBCU, a smaller HBCU who is heavily underfunded, who does not believe in just, you know, just be, being another stop on a campaign trail. They want to see tangibles delivered for their campus. They want to see student loan reductions. They want to see funding into their student union. They want to see that they have a football program in the next three to four years that's actually fundable and doable. So you want to make sure that you're bringing someone in these spaces who people can believe in, and you want to make sure that you can work for someone who you believe in. So I would say that's important to run an effective campaign and also just having the right messaging. Messaging is big. And former President Trump, I'm not saying that he's my president, but former President Trump, he had great messaging. I mean, make America great again. He knew how to get these people out of trailer parks in Florida and all across the country. Just he knew who to target. He had great messaging. And that's important for campaigns is having great messaging because people are not going to get behind you if your messaging is just okay. You need to have a great message, a great candidate, and a great staff. And that's how I think a campaign can effectively work. I especially liked your point on delivering of tangibles to uh, those different spaces and bringing in the message to those different groups and just sort of building upon that. The Let's Brief It podcast is geared towards law students. So could you sort of explain to us how law students might be able to help in delivering those tangibles, those messages and campaigning and any classes that might be helpful to them in doing so? Yes. Yeah, so my advice to law students right now is to get involved with your local county Democratic Party, city Democratic Party, if they're not as heavily developed, you know, if they don't have the funding and they're not a really developed Democratic Party, then I would say do the research and see candidates for city council. Look at 
you know, go to the Capitol, look at some of these state representatives, um, especially on lobbyist day. There's days once a year where you can go out as a college student at that and just go talk to these lawmakers. So that's a way to put yourself out there and to really advocate for the issues that you believe in. I also think that law students, we just need to do the work. We always are told to do the work. Get on the computer, look up, you know, local campaign events in East Baton Rouge Parish, for example. And that's how I would get involved. That's why I'm currently working for the Louisiana Board of Regents in Higher Education, because I'm working behind a phenomenal Black woman, Dr. Kim Hunter-Reed, who is the Commissioner of Higher Education. And that's how I got involved with her, because I did the work to look it up. And even though I'm not on the campaign side, there's different things that you can do. You can go to the state reps. They campaign every two years because that's how often their cycles are and tell them, hey, I want to get on your campaign side. Who do I contact? Or contact the mayor and say, hey, I love what you believe in. I love what you stand for. I want you to come at my school and speak to the students at the Southern University Law Center on, you know, increasing broadband within the rural communities of Baton Rouge. There's just different ways to go about things. And especially knowing that we make up a huge voting block as young voters and knowing that young voters, people look at us to see where we're going to go to now decide what they want to do. So a lot of these candidates, they will meet you where you are. They want to do events with young voters because it looks great for optics, one. And two, they know that we are the future and that our ideas are going to shape what goes on in this country. So I would say utilize that. If you're a college student right now, if you're a law student, if you're trying to plan an event at your school, a program, whatever you have coming up in the months to follow, you need to reach out to who you can. You need to look at who's running for office and utilize that. And they will come out and do the work. Like I said, they love to hear from us, but also just know that they will definitely come. And that's a great way to get involved is to host campaign events at your school. Even if your school wants to remain bipartisan, do a panel and invite all the candidates out. Or just, you know, maybe come out to support and have some volunteers go out and do a food bank with those candidates or look at what the candidates' events that they have in the upcoming day and see what you can do. Because there's so much work that can be done. So I think it's more so a matter of, one, doing the research to see what's going on. Two, making sure that, you know, your institution is okay with that candidate coming to your campus. And then just also making sure that if you set up a town hall, you're asking the right questions to that candidate and you're really holding them accountable. So. I would just say, make sure you do the work and get them out there because they want to do it. It looks great for optics, like I said, and they want to talk to young voters. So just make sure that you have everything set up to where you can get the job done for yourself and for them too. That's really great advice, Rhea. What were some of the most important lessons you learned from your time on the campaign trail? The most important lesson I learned on the campaign trail is it's okay to make mistakes. I was 23 on the campaign trail in New Hampshire, and then I went to South Carolina and I became a deputy political director. So I started as a political assistant and went to a deputy, all from a field organizer within the span of six months. So I had to learn it's okay to make mistakes, but you need to communicate always because a campaign cannot properly run without communicating. Um, there's places that you need to be at all hours of the night. There's just different stuff that goes on within a campaign on the back end. And I think being young, we're often told this stigma of you don't want to mess up. You know, you don't want to be that one young person that just didn't do what they needed to do for a volunteer phone bank. There were several times where I probably cried on the campaign trail because I felt like I wasn't good enough or that I wasn't utilized enough. But I always knew that I have to bounce back because the campaigns are nonstop. They're fast paced and you just don't have time to harp on it. So I would say some lessons I learned aside from making mistakes is also making sure that you reach out to your friends and your family and your loved ones. And always communicate with them and let them know how you're doing because you're going to need that network outside of the campaign trail. And then also make sure that you're making lifelong friendships on the campaign trail. 
some of my best friends to this day I met on the Buttigieg campaign. We're all still in a group chat. We all still go to the Congressional Black Caucus weekend in D.C. together. We all just talk all the time. So knowing that you're forming lifelong friendships and you don't need to be competitive with people working on a campaign is something that got us through definitely, especially as Black staffers. You think, you know, Black staffers working for a white campaign that, okay, we need to compete with each other and battle each other for the next position. That's not how it needs to be. You all need to work together because you're in this space as one and you all need to utilize each other and rely on each other. And the last lesson I would say is if you're not sure about something, just always ask because there's always going to be an answer. I think as we're starting to wrap up, I want to ask, how did the campaigning influence the trajectory that you hope to follow in your career? Like I said earlier, I knew since I was six years old, I wanted to go to law school. But working on the campaign trail, I took the LSAT three times. I'm not even embarrassed. I took it three times. I took it the third time after the campaign, but I went into the campaign and I was just like, you know what? I don't even want to be attorney general anymore because I don't want to go to law school. But this man who was our state director in South Carolina, he passed away last year. His name was Abe Jenkins. He is the grandson of Cecil Jenkins, the prominent civil rights leader in South Carolina. So Abe was just a heavy maker in the community. And he took us young staffers in, myself, my colleague Garrett, and my friend Jabria, and just really took us under his wing and made us feel like his grandkids. Really making sure that I had him in my corner was amazing. And he motivated me to go back to law school because during the campaign, I told him, I don't know what I want to do after this. I'll probably just stay in politics, but I'm not going to law school. And he just told me, do not give up on my dreams. I want you to go to law school. I know that LSAT was hard for you, but nothing in life is easy. And the best things in life are those that we have to work for. So I credit everything to this day and where I'm happy because of him. Everything I'm doing now, aside from my family, my friends, my loved ones, is because of him and because of all that he did to help me get to where I'm at now. Rio, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. And we would like to thank the DC Bar Communities for hosting us. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. This episode of Let's Brief It was brought to you in part by our sponsor, the George Washington College of Professional Studies Paralegal Studies Programs. For more information, visit the link found in the description for this episode. The DC Bar Law Student Community strives to engage and support law students before you graduate and expose you to the tangible benefits of joining the DC Bar and DC Bar Communities. Curated programming allows law students to participate in substantive content programming, leadership trainings, networking with practicing attorneys in fields of interest, writing opportunities, and other activities designed to expand your legal education beyond the classroom. Make an investment in your legal career by joining the law student community. To learn more, visit us at www.dcbar.org or email communities at dcbar.org. We look forward to hearing from you.